Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. The title of the book, The News Hawk Reports, The Writings of a Politically Incorrect Newsbird, and the author, and the and Mr. News Hawk himself, Frederick Voss, joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Fred. Hi. How are you doing, Steve? Well, great to have you with us, and it's important to see humor in just about anything, and that's what you're trying to do here, you know, in spite of all the madness that's coming out of Washington and, and a lot of state capitals and even from the local school board at times, uh, you see humor in it. And But, boy, it is a, a, a troubled, troubled nation, isn't it? Oh, it, it certainly is. And, and it just seems to get worse all the time. What's with the, the, the onslaught against our religion, the onslaught against the schools, the uh, and, 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 and all this nonsense that's going on in the Senate house with uh, you know gun control and and uh, immigration which you guys down there in Texas are probably putting up with all the time that's it, for sure it just doesn't ever seem to make any sense and it doesn't ever seem to go away well it, what gets me is that there's so many people who talk about how stupid everybody is but it they're not stupid in Washington you know the the Obama administration and all those who have joined in with him uh, they know what they're doing Oh, they're oh, they're very. They're, some of them are brilliant. It's just that they're on the they're headed down the wrong road. You know, they, uh, Hitler was considered pretty bright, wasn't he? Stalin was considered pretty bright, and you know, a lot a lot of our uh, Roosevelt was considered an intelligent man. But look at uh, look at the harm they've done in the, you know, in, in the last century. They they, they they didn't really help anybody. All Roosevelt had to do was butt out, and the Depression would have been over in a year after it started. And uh, but it 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 has more to do with with what you want to do with your intelligence. Now, I I don't particularly think that uh, President Obama's a uh, uh, that smart a fellow. I don't think he's brilliant. I just think he has a lot of brilliant people working for him. Well, he knows how to read a teleprompter. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I wonder, is he still doing that? Well, I think, uh, yeah, of course, of course. Well, let's kind of take a break in the action here and find out a little bit about you, Fred. Uh, how did this all come about, the Newshawk reports? Well, uh, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, I, I used to write uh, for, the, for the newspaper here back in the 80s, and I, I had written a... Uh, uh, a story, and uh, in, in the story, I'd used a word that wasn't a word, and of course, I took some ribbing for it. But it went through the editors, and it went out into the public, and nobody said anything about it until the Sunday editor caught a hold of the word and asked if it was a word. Well, it wasn't, and so I I took some ribbing in the newsroom for it. But so I wrote a piece that. Uh, uh, in, in which I wanted the, the word to become uh, in, in, the, in the English language, and it turns out that it's the first uh, piece in the book. It's called Writer's Cramps. 
And the editor liked it so much, he offered me a weekly column. And so, well, you know, that's, you know, back, that, that was, that was a heck of a compliment. So I, I, I tried doing this and every week I, I kept trying to come up with interesting topics and write intelligently about it. And I found out I wasn't enjoying myself. I didn't like to come up with, uh, well, I wouldn't mind coming up with interesting topics. I just didn't want to have to write intelligently. I like to write humorously and I, I, I very slowly started to, uh, put humor in my writings, and the editor, he thought it was all right, and the people responded well. And so I, I came up with Newshawk, and then I came up with a couple other guys that he could talk to in offhanded ways, and uh, I started writing uh, that way, just what I call storytelling satire. Uh, and uh, even after I quit the newspaper, I only worked there for uh, about two and a half, three years, and I found out I couldn't afford to work here anymore. And uh, they, but they wanted me to continue writing the, the the column, which I did for another oh, six or seven years, I guess. But it got to be too much. They were at the job I had, so I just quit writing it. And about two and a half years ago, I decided I wanted to get it back out there again. And uh, so I started writing it, and I asked the uh, managing editor down whether he'd like to pick it up again or not. And he said no. He didn't like what I wrote before and he still didn't like what I wrote, so he didn't get <laughs> in the newspaper again. And uh I you know that made one of those liberal manager uh, managing editors, you know. And uh so I started uh, writing it and I put it on a blog online and after a couple of years of course I had, you know, a whole file full of blogs, there's over a hundred of them. And I said, well, you've got to delete all these or I have to make a book out of them. I didn't know what the heck else to do. So I uh, contacted Ex Libris and I, uh, we put them in a book form. And now we're trying to get them out there for so people can read and kind of get uh, see what's going on and, 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 and laugh about it. So in these writings, uh, which, again, you call them storytelling satire, it's a little different than just pure satire. What's the difference? What, what, what kind of structure do these uh, stories have? Well, basically, I, I start off with a premise um, uh, that's true. You know, like the lame duck sessions in Congress have left uh, the country groaning, you know, and I go on and describe that. And then I'll kind of ease into a a conversation that Newshawk, which is me, has with somebody who is responsible for the problem that we're having. And it's usually, a lot of it is uh, is dialogue. Uh, I like dialogue because you can do so much with it. And it, it makes for a more uh, exciting, more uh, humorous, I think, uh, uh, writing than just writing block paragraphs full of stuff. And it moves, moves the uh, piece along. And then there's always, at the end, there's always a, a catch, you know. Um, I can give you a kind of an example. Um, I don't even remember the name of the darn thing now, but it's, I, I, I was, uh, Newshawk was on the border down there in, in Arizona. He wasn't in Texas, but he was in Arizona, and he ran across this Mexican fellow who was digging a tunnel. And he says, wow, he says, what are you doing? And he, and he uh, and the Mexican fellow says, well, I'm digging a tunnel. And he says, Newshawk says, what are you doing now digging another tunnel so that more uh, 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 illegals can sneak over in the middle of the night? And 
He says, oh, oh no, he says, um, we're, we're, I'm digging a tunnel so the Americans can get out of, <laughs> get out of America. <laughs> he says, he, he, they heard there was more jobs in Mexico. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, unfortunately, so, you know, that may be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's, and uh, usually, uh, and, 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 and there's even a poem in here, it's called Bo's Christmas Carol, which is, Bo is, of course, uh, Barack Obama, that's his initials, and it uh, just it pretty much follows the uh, Charles Dickens classic, you know, there's a, a Christmas, goes to Christmas past, present, future, and the poem describes what went on before, and presently, and then after, and and in the end, and uh, uh, I, I had again uh, been writing my uh, blog for the newspaper, and the last paragraph in this, uh, in this thing was... Uh, we will retain what is rightly ours. We won't give in to commie powers. We'll fight because we're free and brave, and we'll be dancing on your grave. Well, the managing editor of the newspaper got so frantic when he read that, he canceled my column. <laughs> he thought that I was threatening the life of the President of the United States. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine? This is a managing editor, and he mistakes uh, an, an idiom for a threat to. You know, who would be stupid enough to threaten the life of the president of the United States in print, mind you? But anyway, that's you know what's goes what's what goes on around here. Why do you think, think? Why do you think people can't see what's really going on? It seems like so many people don't recognize what's happening. Because they benefit from it, I think. I think they do see it. I, I, I just don't think they care. Uh, too many people benefit from uh, a, a class uh, warfare like this man has created. Uh, people, you know, there was talking 47% of the population now gets a check from the government. Well, you know, uh, those 47% of the people who are more inclined to vote for Barack Obama than for Mitt Romney, which was obviously the case, because Romney wasn't so willing to, to give them something. I think this is a, a, a society of people who are looking for handouts. You know, you and I, uh, Steve, we go back to a time when people were taught to work for a living. This is where we, we, we gained our, our independence. This is, you know, how, how we became the, the, the type of people we are. Uh, you know, true, true, what I call real Americans, that's a phrase, I, I don't separate the two words. Real American is guys like us, you know. Uh, we, we go to work in the morning, we come home at night, we take care of our children, we pay our taxes, we go to church on Sundays, uh, and we do all the things that uh, uh, older Americans used to do, and what the things that kind of made this country grow into being the, the, the country that it was, you know. Right. Uh, but I just... Uh, these people, I, I, you see them all the time, and you, you ask them, well, why do you believe this way? This is, uh, well, because it's the only way, and, and, and they get so mad when they talk. You ever notice how these people, they, mm -hmm. they can't speak to you in a civil tone of voice. It's, it's always with such anger. And I was never an angry person, but damn it, I'm becoming that way. 
<laughs> I talk to these people. They get mad just because I write a, you know, I, right. they read my stuff online. They get mad at me. I said, well, look, if it makes you that mad, don't read it. I don't care. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, you deal goes. with the dishonesty of the current administration. You deal with the passing of laws that are completely outside the interest or well-being of the American taxpayer who's being fleeced royally. You also talk about the social socialization of the country. And uh, as we were just talking about, even the stupidity of its citizens who don't know what's going on. So it's, and it goes on and on, right? And they do know what's going on. They just don't yeah. care because it's, it's a benefit to them. You know? And then you talk with conservative red state Louis and liberal Pud Politico. Tell us about those yeah. folks. Well, yeah, Red State Louie is just, uh, he's my conservative buddy. Anytime I need, uh, somebody to run a conservative point of view up against, I, I call on Red State to, uh, uh, to, to have a conversation with. And, uh, Bud Politico is a, a liberal, uh, a guy in the world liberal, like I call him a friend of mine, but it's tongue in cheek because he's a real idiot. And I point that out. When I when I use them in the columns, and it just he he's there to point out the, uh, the the idiocy of some of the liberal points of view. You know, I needed somebody to kind of bounce those theories off of too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> since uh, I've come up with a few other characters since then, but they're not in the book. They were they kind of came along afterwards. So. Uh, so there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek, there's a lot of satire, there's a lot of frustration, but at the same time, how do you see the future? I think we're screwed. I think it's gone on too far, and I think that there's too many people who benefit from the way things are, and there's too much power behind, and too much money behind the the wave of socialism that's going on in the country. Look at this thing with the uh, uh, the, the Pentagon now wants to outlaw this. They're talking about religion um, in the military, and then even includes the chaplains. For heaven's sake, you know w- w- what kind of nonsense is that? Where's the freedom of speech? Where's the freedom of religion? Where, where are our freedoms going? I heard Barack Obama say on television one day. And somebody asked him about uh, him, him violating the Constitution in one respect or another, and he says, "Well, he says uh, that Constitution it, it gets in the way of the way I want to take this country." Well, what a hell of a thing for a, a president of the United States to say! He's supposed to be uh, abiding by the Constitution. He, 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 he's supposed to be our our guarantor that these that these laws are, are, are going to stand up, but boy, not this guy, you know, and he's scary. And, and I'll tell you the truth, Steve, I, I don't think he knows a lot about what's going on around him. I, I, I think there's a lot of these, uh, these regulations, uh, these rules that are c- coming down. Uh, uh, I, I think most people know that uh, you, you can create jobs in this country if the government would get out of the way, if they get rid of, you know, probably 90% of the regulations they have on the books that thwart businesses, especially small businesses, uh, jobs, the people with the money would be coming out of the woodwork just to, uh, to create jobs. But that won't ever happen because uh, these people do not want jobs. They want dependency, not in- independency. 
Well, it is what it is. I, I don't know how people can't see it, but he certainly and others around him have their own philosophy, and that's very tell. Uh, that's very telling when he rejects the Constitution. So we're going to get what we get from this kind of, of strategy and ideology, and you're pointing it out, and hopefully in a way that maybe people will listen because you put that little twist of humor, little satire in these the storytelling. So Frederick Voss, he is the author, and he is the uh, political commentator with through these uh, blogs that he's, um, columns that he's put into his book. And the net, the title can is... I, the can, net, I, sure. can I mention my blog site? Oh, please. Yeah, it's uh, newshawkreport.blogspot.com. Uh, I, I, I place a, a new blog on there every Sunday morning. Uh, I probably should write one a little more often, but I'm writing a second book now, and I have a job and you know, other things. So it's, it doesn't always work out that I can... I, I've tried writing two or three a week. It just doesn't work out very well. So one a week I write. And the book is also uh, um, available on Amazon and um, Barnes & Noble and exlibris.com. Uh, and the title is The Newshawk Reports, The Writings of a Politically Incorrect Newsbird. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Fred, on Ex Libris On Air. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, I, I, pre- I enjoyed talking to you, Steve. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management. The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent Live, every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirit Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature, and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com.
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Crooked Path. And the author is Melinda Abersold. And Melinda joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Melinda. Hello. And of course, I also need to call you Pastor Melinda, and you'll tell us more about that in a little bit, uh, how you co-pastor with your husband. First of all, Melinda, let me read a couple things you've written about your book so everyone kind of knows what we're going to talk about, and then we'll find out some more about, uh, obviously, the characters and some of the plot, and find out about you and why you wrote the book. But you say this, I've written a Christian fiction book, and we could call it religious real-life fiction. It's about facing life's challenges and learning to trust in God in adversity. And as you also explain, this book is full of prayer and scripture. Well, first of all, Melinda, before we learn more, tell us about yourself, a little bit about your background, and why you wrote the book. Well, I am ma- happily married. Uh, my husband is uh, a flight instructor, and we live in um, Alabama near Fort Rucker. I um, have graduated from Lighthouse Christian Bible College. I have two beautiful children, five wonderful grandchildren, and we pastor, my husband and I pastor a wonderful church, and basically, I'm just very blessed by God. So where'd the idea of the book come from? I guess you could say that it was actually tucked away in my heart for several years, but then the Lord actually used a minister to speak encouragement in reference to me writing the book. And uh, just through prayer, and God just kept dealing with my heart until finally I, in obedience, I stepped out in faith, and I just kind of went blindfolded and just started typing away, and, and got and then out came the cricket path. <laughs> and as we already said, this is religious real life fiction because it deals with real life issues. And of course, we've got uh, some very important characters in the book. And so let's talk about a few of those. Uh, let's first of all, tell us about Esther Cox. Esther is a widow and she's faced with many challenges. Um, the biggest challenge is, of course, she's got a teenage daughter whose heart is rebelling against God, and she's also faced with the challenge of pastoring a church being a female. She's up against a lot of opposition, and then on top of that, she's also lonely, desiring to go forward in life, and but yet uh, it's difficult for her to let go of her life that she had with her husband, Samuel, who actually died from a spider bite. Well, that's very strange, right? A spider bite. But I guess it, that could happen in real life. Yeah. Now, My grandfather died from a spider bite, oh, actually. Oh, so there, there it is real life. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the daughter, teenage daughter, Ruthie. Uh, she's got some struggles. That she does. Deep in her heart, she's the, she desires to, first of all, please her mother, and she desires to please God, but yet she has a lot of questions about God. And basically, Ruthie just wants to find herself. She was raised in a very sheltered home, and she never really had the opportunity to experience life as your average teenager because Esther felt like they had to keep a high standard in the home because uh, they didn't want to, 
I guess you could say, tank their reputation in the small community of Williamsville. So as a result, Ruthie became rebellious and decided that she was ready to tackle life on her own and go completely in a different direction from the biblical principles that her mother actually raised her with. Well, there's this well-respected farmer in this small town. He's, of course, been a member of the country church, David Fisher, and his wife has had an unexpected death. That's correct, Sadie. She actually died from breast cancer, and David lived as a widower for four years. And God began to soften David's heart to go forward and in his life and with his life, I guess you could say. And um, God began to talk personally to David about uh, pursuing a relationship with Esther and also stepping into the ministry along with Esther. And he, he struggled, but yet the longer he prayed and the more time he had to, I guess you could say, do a little bit of an evaluation as far as how much God had blessed him and how you know deep in his heart he was lonely and ready to go forward, but yet he was he had this wall up, afraid to allow uh, love to enter in again because he was so broken over the death of his wife that he eventually began to step step out and once he began to taste a little bit of love again it wasn't at all difficult for him to go all the way, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yes, yes. Now, you use your book in this reader group Bible study. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Basically, the reader group Bible study is just for those who would like to dig deeper into the Word of God and interact and share their personal feelings, personal experiences, as far as maybe different issues that they've dealt with um, in relation to the characters in the book. When you look at all the characters in your book, uh, which character would you say used godly wisdom? Which would be so important in these kinds of challenges? I think Annie. Annie, she is... She is one of the characters that she actually ran. She actually ran the um, local cafe, and the town folks kind of turned for her for guidance and godly wisdom. And she had a lot of perspective when it came, just about life in general. So I would say Annie. So she helps. Uh, which character the most? The one of the main characters. What would you say? David. She helped him to go forward. She encouraged him. She was there for him to counsel him when uh, he faced, when Esther faced depression, when their relationship was kind of, uh, I guess you could say, kind of weighing in the balance because Esther went into a very deep depression after Ruthie had actually ran off to St. Louis, Missouri. Now there's a character named Buddy, and is he kind of a macho guy? He is. He he likes to the character. Buddy likes to pretend like he's macho, but deep inside, he's just a soft-hearted guy. So, how does he fit into all of this? Him and Ruthie fall in love, 
and he is he plays uh, the part of actually persuading Ruthie into moving to St. Louis, Missouri, and pursuing a future with him. So one of the main messages, God can use any person to speak his word, whether male or female. That's correct. And that is important because there are obviously issues often uh, with females as pastors. That's correct. Have you had to face that? Yes, I have. So how do you deal with that? And how would, you know, how would uh, someone in the, now in the book, is there a similar scenario? Yes, there is. Esther actually faces uh, opposition with two men um, that actually is a part of the congregation. Uh, The way I deal with it, to answer your first question, the way I deal with it is, first of all, I never argue. I simply give scripture and history behind the scripture and I leave it at that um, because I realize that I'm always we're always going to have people that will not will will not agree with everything that we do in life, and not everybody's going to understand, especially if they don't really understand the Bible and the Greek and the Hebrew, the meaning of scriptures and the history. So therefore, I, as I said earlier, I just simply give them the Word of God. I, ex- I share my personal experience that I've had with God, and then I leave it alone. If they want to argue, I, I do not even waste my time arguing with the person. So is that the approach Esther takes dealing with these two men? Uh, pretty much. Esther uh, is so wrapped up with Ruthie and um, pursuing her relationship with David that I think that Esther... Really, in the recesses of her mind, she knew that uh, that uh, Wayne and uh, Mike that they wanted to, I guess you could say, plot evil toward her. They they had, you know, they had bad intentions t- toward her. But she, Mike and and Wayne was not her main focus. Her main focus was first pleasing God, second her daughter, and then third going into this relationship with David. But then once Mike and Wayne began to really step out and plot a plan to remove Esther from the position that God placed her in, God intervened and God ended up changing the heart of one of the characters, which would be Mike, to where Mike actually began to move over into Esther's side, if that makes sense. Yes. Now again, uh, here we have these, this advers- you know, this adversity that these characters are facing, and of course, you're trying to uh, advocate some important principles, some important religious and spiritual principles. Uh, why don't you sum up some of those as we as we conclude our discussion? Well, first, we need to always trust in God. Because in life, we're always going to face opposition, and we're always going to have adversaries. And so we can never lean on our own understanding, but we've got to know how to pray and know that God has an answer for every situation that we face. And there will always be times that we have to learn how, well, I won't say always, most of the time we have to learn how to just stand still, keep quiet, and let God fight our battles for us. 
However, if God does speak to our heart, because God is a personal God, and if he speaks to our heart to speak something, then we've got to act in obedience and speak what he would have us to speak in line with his word, and then leave it at that, and don't try to make excuses, don't try to apologize, but simply speak, give the word of God, and then leave it alone. And in time, it'll all, everything will work out. It'll all fall in place as it should in time. Well, we have different themes running throughout the book. There's some controversy. Uh, there's heartache, restoration, love, prayer, faith, and of course, romance. Melinda Abersold, she is the author of her book titled The Crooked Path. Melinda, tell us how to get your book. You can actually go online to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Exhibris, uh, or you can um, pretty much, if you Google my name, you can Melinda J. Abersold. There are other websites as well. And also I would like to include this that I've almost completed the second book that goes in with this series, Whispers in the Night. So that will be the sequel? That will be. We'll learn more about the ongoing story of some of these characters and probably meet some new ones. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, Melinda. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. And thank you so much. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. And learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDuswalt.com, so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field, so more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Duswalt, Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Druggynet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Love's Enduring Choices, and the author is Sandy Lorraine, 
and Sandy joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Sandy. Hi. Well, this is a great book, a book about being on a ranch, on a farm, that, those challenges, but at the same time, of course, you've got to have romance in it, right? That's right. What would life be without romance? <laughs> That's for sure. So we're going to find out about this 25-year-old lady who inherits her grandfather's farm, Cassie Foster, and of course, she's got the challenge and taking care of the farm, but also finding her way through a rocky relationship while trying to determine who and how she wants to spend the rest of her life because there's not only one man in her life, so that makes it more complicated. So, well, Sandy, tell us a little bit about your background. And I grew up in the far- on a farm in the heart of Iowa, and um, I was my dad's boy. I was always out with him, so a lot of the experiences that's in that book are some that I personally experienced. And um, I, when I started writing romance, I thought, well, you know, that might be kind of fun just to write some of that stuff into a book and see what happens with it. And this is what happened. <laughs> Plus, um, I've interviewed several young women that uh, actually want to run their own ranches, and uh, I've interviewed a couple young women that are actually going to Iowa State uh, University to take farm management because they want to own and operate their own farms, or they want to marry a young farmer. And uh, in today's world of farming, it's a big business. It's a hard business, and they've got to know what they're doing and watch their P's and Q's, and so... So it's just That's not for men. It's just not, it's just not a man's jo- it's just not a man's job anymore. That's right. That's correct. It's big business. So a woman has to know um, how to run a business just as well as a man. And so that's kind of where the book goes from is uh, the challenge she her she has to learn the challenge of operating the farm. You know, when is it time to sell her cattle? When is it time to plant? You know. What kind of machinery does she need to do all this with? And um, it isn't just a little mom-and-pa business anymore. It's big business. And I write about 1,500 acres in the book, but actually today's young farmer, 1,500 acres is a small farm. Hmm. It's got to be more than that in order for it to pay for itself. So whether you're a, a young woman struggling to get ahead in whatever business it is, you still got to have some type of management. You've got to be able to choose and make the right decisions. And that's kind of where this book, this book is based on. Of course, Cassie is thrilled to have this ranch, uh, inherited it from her grandparents. but And she gets some great help. Uh, she has Chad Benson, a half-blooded Native American, but she didn't expect one thing, did she? No, she didn't expect to run, fall in love with him. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he had been, uh, had a, a romance with high, in high school and college, and that young man decided he didn't want to stay on the farm, and he took off and broke her heart. And so she decided she was going to be firm enough that she was never going to let herself fall in love and get hurt again. But, uh, you know, some things happen that you can't control. Well, tell us about this Chad Benson that's helping her manage the ranch, and of course, uh, Cassie has fallen in love with him. Well, he's kind of laid back. Uh, He's a businessman. He's a scalper. He uh, deals in buying and selling cattle and buying and selling 
used farm equipment, and they meet actually at an auction where she's bidding against him uh, for a new tractor because all of her granddad's equipment is old and needs replaced. And so she starts venturing out on her own to replace the stuff, and that's how she meets him. And uh, he just happens to be there the day that her granddad passed away with a heart attack because he came to look at the old farm equipment that they had. And he just picks it up and takes it from there and kind of stands beside her and helps her in everything that she needed done. And she learns how to trust him, learns how to talk to him, and um, knows that she can trust him. And that's how this takes off. And then in the meantime, of course, the old flame comes back and wants her to get rid of the farm and go with him to the city. So, so tell, us, tell us about Ethan King, her old lover. Well, he's kind of self-centered, and um, he had went into architect, and he comes back, and he starts causing problems on her farm between her and, and Chad because he wants her to go to Denver with him where his job takes him. And uh, he tries courting her and stuff, and she almost goes back, falls backwards. And then, of course, with all these problems she starts incurring, she's ready to give up the farm because uh, of the problems, and she can't, she isn't making the right choices, let's put it that way. And Chad helps her through following through and making the right choices, so she actually does end up in keeping the legacy of the farm that her grandparents had. So these are just ordinary people. Just ordinary people. Just ordinary everyday people out there struggling to get ahead and do what's right. And through the book, you'll see her develop into making wiser choices with what she does. You know, from being a young woman to a more of a mature woman making more wise decisions. And Chad's the one that helps her do that. And as you put it, we can't all have Cinderella lives and... You know, too often right. a lot of people think that. They they read too many romance novels, don't they? Too many women read yeah. <laughs> too many romance novels. Yeah, they novels. do. They think they're going to, you know, too many young women read these uh, romance novels and think they're going to meet the, oh, the rich man and they're going to live happily ever after and never have to do this or that, you know. But real life isn't like that. And I know that and you know that. So most women should know that. And it's more, too, uh, not so much just focused on farming. It's just focused on uh, what young women or, you know, any woman with any kind of a business desire. Right. It, it kind of fits right. a That's more correct. broader broader theme. That's correct. It's all in the, the way that the decisions you make and how you think things out and uh, how you mature and how, you know, you're going to grow that business if you're wise with your decisions. And... Uh, that means listening, too, you know, um, and not being afraid to take the challenge. That's the main thing there is you've got to be uh, able to go forward. You've got to be able to learn from your mistakes and take that new challenge because that's the only way you're ever going to develop. And as we know, at least we all know this, uh, ideally, it takes time to get to know everything about uh, someone in a relationship, and you, you need to do that to build up that kind of trust. That's correct. That's correct. Um, I know 
some people say they fall in love with, and they're married within two or three weeks. And, uh, you know, I uh, just can't see that happening because you've got to build up that friendship. You've got to build up that trust. You've got to be able to depend on them. And um, it's just it's a growing process. Romance, falling in love, and developing a strong re- relationship for marriage is something that has to grow gradually, and not it doesn't happen overnight. And you have some real-life, real ranch situations. Uh, for example, Cassie and that mad bull. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that I didn't experience, but I've seen it happen. And um, same way when, well, I did experience when the cow was um, buried in the mud. I had to help my dad pull the cow, you know. We had a mud hole here on the farm, and and, uh, we had a cow get into that. And the more she tried to get out, the deeper she got, you know. And I had to help my dad pull her out, get up there. and, And it's quite a chore trying to fight those hooves, you know, like this cow was doing and that Cassie was trying to do to get the chain on it to pull it out of the mud hole, you know. So, there was several things there. Of course, this mad bull is one of the, uh, just that event where Cassie gets uh, knocked off her horse um, with the bull charging the horse, uh, and, and of course, Chad comes to the rescue. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> But now that experience is something my husband could tell you about because he was always, he was a cowboy. And uh, he's had something like that, similar happen like that to him. So he kind of helped me give me some ideas for the book. (laughs) So as you look at this story and you look at today with some of the challenges with... uh, Oh, not only farming, but some of the challenges of, of mixed racial relationships. Uh, what are you trying to say? I think it's okay. Very seriously, I do think it's okay because we all bleed red and God created us all equal. And um, I personally don't feel like there should be a uh, division between any color or nationality. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I- I don't know how to explain that. Right. Uh, you know, love is where what you find in your heart, not in your mind. Well, you also talk about one of the most challenging things in writing your novel was to really uh, bring out the feelings of the characters so the reader would feel what the characters did. That must have been, a, you know, especially to get people to cry when they're crying and laughing when they're laughing. Exactly. That is a challenge when you're writing to get that to happen. That they just tell them the story. You want your reader to feel what you're, what you're feeling, what they're feeling. So it's something they can take away with them and think back. You know, they read that book, and I had two or three say, "You know what? I wasn't satisfied reading it the first time. I had to go back and read it the second time." And they liked it better the second time they read it because they got past that just reading the story and got into the feelings of the book. Well, that's quite a compliment. Fantastic. So we've yeah. got this romance, we've got suspense, it's fast-paced, it's got humor in it. Anything else I'm missing? I can't think of anything. Um, you know, everything that it describes in this book, like the Black Hills um, Reservation and all that stuff, you know, 
I personally have seen all that. Um, we live on the flatland where the rock ranches, you know. So uh, anything that I've tried to describe in there, I've I've actually seen. We've been listening to Sandy Lorraine. She is the author of her book, Love's Enduring Choices. Any other closing thoughts, Sandy? Not that I can think of. I appreciate you letting me talk to you. Well, tell us how to get your book. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. It's available through It's Libris, my publisher.com. Also, Sandy Lorraine, and Sandy has an I, and Lorraine has two R's, SandyLorraine.com. Um, it's available in ebook and paperback and hardcover. Thank you so much, Sandy, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you. I appreciate this very much. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.